we're jumping back into Leviticus, and we've been in that for several weeks now. And today is part two of the this, this series, part two of the Day of Atonement. So we're going to be talking about the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16. So if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles. We'll have most, if not all the verses on the screen today. But today we're going to finish looking at this holy day that the nation of Israel to this day and those who are Jewish call Yom Kippur or the day of atonement. Remember this Old Testament ritual, this day was an opportunity to reset, like push the reset button and to restore everything or reset everything in the tabernacle and later then the temple, then the priesthood and even the Israelite people to a state of purity. So on the day of atonement, God gives them this outline of what they're supposed to do and they're basically going into it with this idea that if anything accidental has occurred in this last year, we don't want God's presence to be removed from us. So we're setting aside a day where we are going to reset all things and make sure because they had this thought. If we don't reset, if we don't do that and make absolutely sure at least once a year that everything is reset, restored, and back to the way that God intended, they had a fear, a healthy fear, that God's presence would no longer reside with them. So that holy fear was an acceptable thing in the eyes of God because he wanted them to make sure that they lived in a place of constant purity. They understood that God demanded obedience. And I've got news for us today. (laughs) He still does. He demands our obedience. It's still true today, and it's a principle of the kingdom of God that God has established. Hear me, church, when I say this. Our obedience determines the depth of our relationship. The obedience that we give to the Lord according to his word, according to the principles of his word, that determines the depth of our relationship. You can look at your human interactions with your teenage kids when they were teenagers or your teenage grandkids if they're teenagers. You can look at the interactions between children and parents even to this day. And yes, we love them no matter what, forever and always and with all of our heart. But at the same time, there are issues and challenges that come into a relationship where there is disobedience. And so the same thing is true of God. In fact, he's the start. He's the originator of this. And our obedience to him determines the depth of our relationship with him. So when we see this principle play out in scripture, we've got to understand this. This is why we harp on it. You got to know what he's asked of you right? I mean, it just makes sense. I'm a, I'm a simple guy, but it just makes sense that we understand what God's word asks of us in order for us to understand how we are to obey him. So go with me to Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 29. Leviticus 16 verse 29. It says this, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger 
who sojourns among you or the person who's you know traveling among you. Verse 30 says this, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Let me explain and make sure that you understand. This right here applies to those sins which are moral as well as guilt and impurity that would have caused them to taint the sanctuary or the place where God dwelt. Verse 31 says this, it's a Sabbath of solemn rest to you and you shall afflict yourselves. That doesn't sound very fun, but we're going to explain that. You shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Verse 32, and the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Verse 34, we hear these words again. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all of their sins. And we would add to that the word impurities. And it says there that Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So you got to follow this train of thought. If we're harping on obedience, Moses had to give Aaron these instructions and they were done according to the word of God, but he had to follow the chain of command. It says very clearly, Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses in the English Standard Version. So I want to show you two spiritual disciplines today that every believer needs to regularly implement in their lives. But first, I want to give a few highlights and I want to give you a clarification about that whole afflict yourselves because that doesn't sound fun. It's not. <laughs> Let's be clear, in the verses we read, especially because we have kids here today, God did not say, make a statue, okay? He said, it is a statute, okay? What that means and what that's understood to mean is a written law. So God says, write this as a law that you're going to observe the day of atonement on a yearly basis. The word used in Hebrew that is translated forever it actually means in English, forever. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, you just, I miss, I, like I said, I'm a simple guy. This is a simple message. But when he says, write this law and do this forever, he actually means what he says. And he's saying to them, do this forever. Today, the people of Israel with that heritage, those who we call Jews to this day, still observe the day of atonement. So let me give you a little clarification about the whole afflict yourselves thing so that you can understand that. I'm not sure what version you're reading, but in the version we read here, uh, the English Standard Version, it says afflict yourselves. I want to help you understand this because it includes not just the humbling of your heart, not just the God, I'm less than you and I need you in every area of my life, not just that, but also physical fasting. So let me be clear. You can abstain, that means you can go without many things. But God is saying here, to sharpen your spiritual focus, there is nothing that compares to actual fasting, unless it involves skipping a meal 
or more. Now, the first spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about today that we should regularly implement in our lives, if we're reading the scripture and we're understanding what they did at the Day of Atonement, and we understand even Jesus' words later about this, fasting is the first spiritual discipline that we'll talk about today that we should implement. Now, I've heard some crazy things. I grew up in church. Um, the joke is that my mother barely took off a Sunday to have me. Okay. I was raised underneath the pews. I was crawling underneath there. Um, I had to be very quiet. I was not allowed to make any noise. Uh, they were to be, children were to be seen and not heard in those days. Right. And so I remember looking up underneath those pews and seeing everybody's bubble gum. I remember those days being reared in the church. Okay. I've heard a lot of stuff throughout my life. Not only those days that I heard the older folks, the older crowd then talk, but I've also heard it as a pastor now. I've heard people say some crazy things like I'm fasting chocolate or I'm fasting sodas or I'm fasting social media or I'm fasting television or some of our teenagers might say I'm fasting my Xbox. No, you're not. I got to tell you the truth of what God's word is. Yes, those things, if you decide to do them, they will help you in some way, shape, or form. If you can get out of the bedroom and stop watching TV, you'll see the sun is shining. You can go play outside. You'll build relationships with family. You'll have rest and energy, all those things. You'll have benefits if you forego some of the stuff. But fasting according to scripture means foregoing something that is essential to life. (laughs) And I know some of you are thinking, but chocolate is essential to my life. No, it's not. Food is essential to your life and water is essential to your life. But God essentially is communicating to them in these days that they are to have a solemn fast. Okay. And while we're on this topic, I'm jumping on a soapbox for just a minute because I have got to tell you something. If you are fasting social media during the season of Lent, or if you choose to fast something, don't put it on social media. Okay. Thank you. I got some laughs and an amen. This is good. We're rolling right through this. It just doesn't make sense. Jesus said these words. He said, if you fast, not if, he actually said, when you fast. He said, when you fast, don't be like those Pharisees. They're out, you know, they've torn their clothes and they're throwing dirt on their bodies and they're going, oh, I'm so desperate. I've been fasting in spiritual discipline. Don't be like that guy. Don't be that guy. But act normal. Wash your face. Put on regular clothes. Don't talk about it because your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus actually says if you do it so that you get that open recognition, you've got the recognition you were looking for already. There's no other blessing in it. So, okay, off the crate, off the soapbox. When we give up something that is essential to human life on planet earth, this is what we call fasting. It's what God calls fasting. Um, In the second century, there was a a guide that was made for Jewish law, and it's called the Mishnah. It says about the Day of Atonement that they were to afflict their souls by abstaining from eating and from drinking, as well as bathing, 
anointing, that would be like perfume and that kind of thing, but also the other things that they would use for oils and things. The use of shoes and the marriage bed. All of these things were understood to be forbidden on the day of atonement. Now, I do not forbid you to take a shower before you get to church. I'm so glad you do, okay? Praise God for that. But on the day of atonement, they understood that they were foregoing those essential things. Jesus speaks about fasting in Luke chapter five. He's asked a question and his response is really worth considering. Verse 33 to 35 says this, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Hmm. Jesus says to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will, everybody say will, will will fast in those days. So Jesus is understood to be in biblical images as a groom and the church is his bride. The people of God are his bride. So he is saying this to those who are asking, hey, listen, John is, his disciples are fasting. Other people are fasting. The, the disciples of the Pharisees, we still got some of those around today. <laughs> uh, they, they fast as well, but why don't your disciples? And Jesus says, oh, they will. They will. When I'm no longer with them, they will. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples after they couldn't cast the demon out of a boy who was suffering from a possession. Mark chapter nine, verse 28 and 29 says this. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Talking about the demon. And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. The implication here is that Jesus had been fasting and the disciples hadn't. Spiritual sight and spiritual power increase when we forego the essential of our life, which is a meal and or liquid that we need to live. In fact, you can talk to any doctor or nutritionist and they'll tell you there are some great benefits to what they call intermittent fasting. In fact, if you haven't thought about it, how many of you ate breakfast this morning? Raise your hand. Hopefully everybody got a little healthy start to their day. Breakfast is when we break the overnight fast where we haven't been eating. Last night, I did scrounge up a Pop-Tart about 2 a.m., but other than that, when I had breakfast this morning, I broke my fast. While I was sleeping, I wasn't eating. So the doctors and nutritionists will tell you that there's benefits. There are two categories of fast that are mentioned in Scripture. You say, Pastor, we're talking today about spiritual disciplines, and I don't think I've ever fasted. Well, I'm going to challenge you this week to do that, to skip a single meal. And I promise you, you can do it, okay? Consult your doctor. Again, I never give medical advice. I'm, I've Googled stuff on WebMD, but I don't have credentials for that. So I would say talk to a doctor if you're on medications and things like that before you skip a meal to make sure that everything is okay. But according to scripture, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting and it's proof positive in Jesus' words with the demon being cast out of the boy that our spiritual power, our enrichment can be ignited and increased when we fast. So there's two categories of fast 
fast in scripture. One is a personal fast. This is the kind of fast we don't talk about. We don't go, hey, yeah, sorry, I'm fasting. I've been fasting for a couple of days now, just really seeking the Lord. No, we don't do that because we're not looking for the recognition. And the second type of fast is a group fast. In fact, when you read through the prophets, those are the Old Testament books with the names like Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of those. When you read through them, you'll hear them talking about calling a holy assembly and a fast. They're telling the nation, the entire nation, y'all need to skip a meal and we need to pray. We need to ask God for his help. Then we even see that in our day-to-day life, even today. There have been times in the life of our church that we've said, this will be a week of prayer and fasting. In fact, the first week of every January, the first week of the year, is a week of prayer for us and focus where we encourage you to skip a meal and or more than just a single meal in order to pray and ask God for his blessing. Here's the deal. This is what you've got to do when you fast. You skip the meal, but you devote the time that you would to the preparation and to the eating of that meal to spiritual food. These kids are like, oh my goodness, you're talking about I'm going to have to skip lunch? Not today. Not today, sweetheart. But here's, here's, the, here's the understanding that we have. We pray. We read scripture. We take time to quiet our mind and to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We read through the Bible. Take that opportunity that you would be filling your face and fill your soul. I've made it a practice in my own life. My parents taught me to make it a practice because they still to this day make it a practice. My father has extended fasts where he went away for retreats for a period of time that was scary to acknowledge, that he went away without any food and without any drink in order to just seek God. There are moments in my personal ministry where I've asked God, God, I'm not sure to go left or right, to go straight, to stop, to whatever. God, I need your help. And God, God speaks to us. It's not that he just wants us to not eat and lose some calories or weight. God can speak to you anytime, day or night. It doesn't matter. But when we do this, we are demonstrating to him, we are serious. We're so serious. We're willing to forego a meal. So try it this week. You're not going to become a superhero if you skip lunch tomorrow. (laughs) You won't get spidey sense or anything of the sort. Okay. It's not going to happen. But I promise you that if you regularly implement this discipline of fasting, which is all throughout the Old and the New Testament, you will see a difference in your spiritual walk. In fact, I believe your family and those around you will even see a difference. The people that you interact with will see a difference in your life. So when you skip the meal, devote time to spiritual food. Shut out all the noise, all the distraction. So the ancient Israelites, the modern Jews, still observe the Day of Atonement. One day a year when they hit that reset button. Here's the good news for us. We can hit that reset button at any moment. We don't have to wait till next year to do it. Amen? Amen? The Bible says that we can be cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ at any moment when we reach out in faith to God. So literally, kids, look up here and listen. If you commit a sin, if you've told a lie, if you've done something wrong, you can ask God to help you and he will forgive you when you ask him. And then he wants you to determine in your heart to not do that thing again. Us older people, 
need to have that same childlike faith and understanding of who God is by his nature. He is a good God and a good father who's willing to forgive and he's also willing to correct. He wants to move us into a better direction and into a healthier place in our spiritual lives. Amen? So the second spiritual discipline that we should regularly implement in our lives is something that we read here called Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is a word uh, that I would say equals rest, okay? And I want to talk to you about that today because I think it's really important that we understand what it is. The Jewish people to this day call this Shabbat, which means rest. It's a Hebrew word, and when we make it into, when we transfer it into English, we call it Sabbath. You may have heard of people observing a Sabbath, but I want to help you understand how this can apply to your daily life even this week. Leviticus 16.31 tells us that the Day of Atonement was a Sabbath of solemn rest. The Israelites celebrated one Sabbath per week. Okay, six days of work, one day off. That's what they had. And then they even had special times of Sabbath that were built into their calendar throughout the year festivals and feasts where they just rested from all their work. It would be at the end of a harvest when they've brought everything in. They could have a celebration and a feast. There were other moments that were on the calendar as well where they observed what God had done and delivering them from Egypt and all these other times that they would have time where they would rest. So think about this. I I want you to really think about it. This is yet another thing that sets the Jewish people the ancient word we would use is the Israelite people, set them apart from the world around them. So then the following question is, does it set us apart from the world around us even today? See, in those ancient times, they were criticized by the countries around them and by those who worshiped other gods. And even in Jesus' day, they were being criticized by the Romans and by the Greeks because they were like, y'all lazy. (laughs) What? You take a whole day off? That's really, it was a common uh, criticism, you could say, in those days because they observed a weekly day of rest. And today, I got to tell you, church, your life is too busy. You can say that with me. Say, my life is too busy. It really is. Think about it. You're exhausted. You stay up late and have to get up early. Not because you're playing, but because you're doing. Because you're working. Because you're trying to do something for next week. Because you've got stuff to do and places to go. And things to participate in with the kids. And I feel so bad. I saw the minivan mom years ago and that image has stuck in my mind. I pulled into a grocery store parking lot in New Jersey. When I pulled in, it was a Saturday probably about 10, 11 in the morning, right before lunch, I pulled in and out of this minivan popped a ninja, a soccer player, a wrestler, a football player. I'm telling you, like she had four or five kids and every one of them had something different and they were all in costume, in outfit, uniform, sorry, for their activity and bless her heart, she was probably running in to buy juice boxes for one of the teams because she had to go, 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 go. And I thought, somebody help this woman out. We're like that. We are, we are so distracted and our lives are filled with so much 
busyness. You know, it's funny. We say we can't wait for the weekend. We talk about it when we're kids and when we're teenagers. We still talk about it as grown-ups. But so often we dread Monday because we're tired of all the rushing around we've done on the weekend. Because we've got errands to do and we finally have got time to do something in the house and we've got to do the laundry and we've got to get the stuff done. We couldn't accomplish throughout the week because we were so busy. This is not the way God intended your life. So before you go saying, well, Sabbath is just something in the Old Testament that really we don't, nah, that's something we don't need to consider any longer. I want you to consider the Ten Commandments. Number four. The fourth commandment is this in Exodus chapter 20. Listen to these words. Remember the Sabbath day. Another word to not just remember in mind, but a a word there would be observe. Keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Verse 9 says in Exodus 20, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your servants, your livestock, or even the sojourner or the traveler who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God himself provides the example of Sabbath rest for us. It was his idea. It was his idea and it was ordained at the moment of creation. Do you think God actually needed rest? I I mean, come on, seriously, just think with your actual, like, just common sense. Do you think God needs to sleep? No, I don't think so. And when he spoke the world into existence, that didn't require a whole lot of sweat, Hello? Are you listening? (laughs) Right? So in Genesis, God had literally just been speaking for a series of days, but then he rested from his work. And he did that in Genesis in the first few chapters. And then he carries that on with the people of Israel, the nation of Israel that's now traveling through the desert. They're heading into the promised land. He says, you're to do this forever. It was his idea. So Sabbath is a reminder of God's covenant with his people and that he keeps his promises. One day, one day, all who believe in him, Hebrews chapter four tells us, will enter into our final Sabbath. That will be a rest beyond compare. We even have those terms when we have the loss of a loved one or a friend. We say they are now what? Resting in peace. We understand this in some form or fashion, but the application gets lost because we get so busy. Sabbath was given as a blessing to God's people. It's a principle of the kingdom of God. Now, I am not attempting to spoon feed you some legalistic doctrine or dogma. We're not going to discuss what day, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. I am just reminding you of one of the Ten Commandments. And I got news for you. If the other ones still apply, (laughs) then number four definitely does. So don't murder, don't steal, don't kill, all of the, don't commit adultery, all of those things still apply. Why all of a sudden have we determined and decided that the whole rest thing, well, that's just antiquity. We don't need to do that kind of thing. 
we'll rest, we'll sleep when we die. That's, I mean, people say that, right? If we believe it though, we ought to practice it. So don't get caught up in the arguments about whether it's Saturday or Sunday and when it changed and how the Israelites did it. I'm not telling you that you, I grew up in a neighborhood that was filled with Orthodox Jews. I can remember their synagogue being directly across the street from the church in New Jersey that I went to, the church that I went to, the synagogue was across the street from. And I can remember on Saturdays, they wouldn't drive. They wouldn't turn on electricity. They would take, they would unscrew the light bulb in their refrigerator so that it wouldn't turn on when they opened it. They would spend all day Friday preparing meals and food so that they did not have to work on the Sabbath, which for them is Saturday. I can remember them walking down the street. And if you were an Orthodox Jew, you bought some property in the vicinity of your church, your synagogue, so that you could be in walking distance on Sabbath because you wouldn't want to do work. Now, I'm not telling you that you've got to go crazy nuts on this. I'm just telling you something you already know, which is you need more rest and God gave you permission to get it. So take it. Amen? So take it. Colossians, and actually, let me just say this. The Apostle Paul agrees with me, or rather, I agree with the Apostle Paul, okay? Colossians chapter 2, it says this, listen to this. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So I'm, I'm telling you, as your pastor... Okay, as this orchard manager, some of y'all need to rest a lot more than you do. And you need to take that however you take that. Cut out the stuff in your life that doesn't take you to the place that you need to be. And honor God in the Sabbath. I got to tell you, church, I've worked in retail. I've worked in hotels and hospitality. I've worked in food service. I worked at McDonald's, okay? When I was in college, I quickly rose in the ranks at McDonald's to become a shift supervisor there and to help. But I'm going to tell you something that I took as a personal preference. I'm not forcing my preference on you, but I just want you to hear the life that I've lived. I have said to every single hiring employer, I will not work on Sundays. From the days I was a teenager and my first job at Foot Locker, I said those words. My dad told me I had to say them when I was a teenager, but then I thought, wow, this is actually really smart. So I told them, hey, listen, you can put me on the schedule, but you can't put me on for Sundays. Now, I'm not telling you that you're wrong or in sin if you've worked a Sunday. We've got people who are police officers and doctors on call. I understand all of those details. I'm just telling you about my life. And when they asked me why, I told them it was for religious purposes. It was a day for worshiping God and for being with my family. And do you want to know something? I've never been turned down for a job. Every one of those Every one of those places hired me with that caveat and didn't put me on the schedule for Sundays. I made it a part of my life. I'm not criticizing you if you hold a different preference. I'm telling you the principle of the Sabbath is a timeless principle and all of us should be observing it more than we do. 
There's nothing wrong, going back to the whole sports thing, that you will not find your pastor preaching against extracurricular activities, sports, things like that for the kids. I know, I get it, I've got kids, but those things have got to be in their proper place. In fact, our family has a special little rule that's only a Bambera rule, but it might be your rule too. And that is one kid in one activity signed up and that's it. They can't be signed up in six activities. They can't be on six sports teams. That's just us because they can drive me crazy and make me lose my mind and the peace that I could get by having a Sabbath. So maybe cut out the stuff, some of the stuff. So you say, well, pastor, you work on Sundays. <laughs> yes, I do. Sundays have been a work day for me for 20 years or more, but I have to carve out other time with my family to have time to go and do activities. So whether it's Sunday or Saturday, whatever it is, am I allowing things in my life to interfere with God's appointment of one day out of seven for spiritual rest, renewal, and worship? Here's what we lose if we don't observe a Sabbath. We lose time to worship God and you will find that he gets demoted or brought down on your list of priorities. You'll also find that it's just like tithing. We talk about that in the church, that when we give 10%, it's counterintuitive for me to give some away and God to use less than what I had in order to bless me and make me have more, but he does it. He does it. So we've got to understand that principle of priority, that God is first. And this is why the Jews would honor the Sabbath, because it would be the start of a new week. They are giving it as a first offering to God, and they're dedicating themselves to spiritual rest and renewal and worship. We lose, if we, if we don't observe a Sabbath, we lose energy and focus. And you think, well, if I worked 90 hours a week, I would have more, do more, get, no. If you worked less and more productively and maybe procrastinated less and, and focused on resting, then God could help you. We lose joy. We lose time with our family and those that we love when we don't observe a Sabbath. Here's what we gain. When we observe a Sabbath, we have time to worship God. We have emotions. We have, um, l- let me say it like this. We have the opportunity to get recharged, to recharge our batteries emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, to be recharged when we observe a Sabbath. So it's time also that we have with our families and with those that we love that we have this opportunity to not just worship God, but also to spend time. I love when I hear the stories about, well, yep, Sunday afternoons, we have Sunday dinner and mom comes over and we do this and we do that. Those kinds of things can't get lost, people. I'm telling parents in the room, don't lose that stuff because then your kids won't have it and we'll see ourselves go in further and further directions away from God than ever before. And you say, really? Just from not observing a Sabbath? Yes, because God said, I'm resting to show you the example. I want you to do it. And rest renews us, especially a holy God-centered rest. It's a rest that we find most fully in Jesus who said these words to us. He said in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me. Just let these words sink into your heart this morning. Come to me, all you who labor, who work, 
and are heavy burdened or laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Worship team, would you join us? There are two challenges today because we've got two spiritual disciplines that we've talked about. The first is fasting. And if you've never fasted, I am challenging you this week. You don't have to wait to hear from God because it's actually in scripture. You can actually just practice it. Just give it a shot. Start small, do one meal and go from there. Again, medical advice, talk to your doctor before you do so. But do that and dedicate some time in your life and some space to spiritual food. The second is this, if you're too busy, stop. (laughs) Just stop and rest. I tell you, your pastor was so recharged a few weeks ago. I had time on vacation. I didn't open my laptop. I barely responded to text messages. I sat on the beach with my family and my kids. I watched the waves break. We ran from the rain. We played, we did all of that stuff. And I I wish I could do that every month. I can't afford it. (laughs) So I saved it up so that we could do it at that time. But it was so restful to me. I found myself with higher amounts of energy when I came back. I found myself ready to take on the task. I found myself at, at just like chomping at the bit to get stuff done and to do it with a clear thought in mind because I had taken time to rest. The challenge for us is what can we cut out and how can we rest this week? Now, don't try to cut out an essential. Don't say, honey, no, I don't have time for you. I'm taking a Sabbath. Goodbye. (laughs) Don't do that. Okay, don't be crazy. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about and evaluate your life. Evaluate your life in the place that you find yourself the busiest. And again, I guess the joke would be, you know, if you feel like you have too much laundry, probably have too many kids, but you can't get rid of the kids, right? Okay. Maybe have somebody help you with the laundry, whatever the case may be, but find a place of rest in your busy schedule where you can worship God and honor him. Remember, it's a priority because it's a commandment. Would you stand with me today? I've given you some homework and I'm actually going to ask you next Sunday if you've done your homework. I'm planning on doing this homework myself. My wife and my family, we're leaving for a few days this week to go visit and be with her family. And I plan on resting and recharging. I'll probably end up mowing my father-in-law's grass, but it'll be a wonderful thing because I don't have grass to mow. It'll just be great time together. Find a time that you can do something this week that you may maybe love to do, but you haven't done in a long time. Take a break from the busyness and say no to the stuff that comes in on you. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? I want to ask you, we've talked about the Day of Atonement. We talked about how they were observing a Sabbath and fasting, but the chance of us having prayer needs in this room outside of those two things is highly likely. That means there are needs in this room that we haven't talked about today. If you have a need in your heart, in your finances, in your your marriage, 
in a relationship at work with a coworker or a boss, if you have some sort of need in your life, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? We're not gonna call on you and ask you to tell us what that need is, but just slip up your hand and put it right back down. There are hands going up all across this room. I wanna take an opportunity this morning to pray for you. Father, for those with heavy hearts today, I pray that they would experience the rest of God that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that today they would unburden themselves. They may feel helpless and hopeless in the midst of the thing that they face, but God, you are a God who helps and you are a God who supplies hope. So I pray by the spirit of God that you would restore joy, help, give direction and clarity that today financial issues, marriage problems, those things would be touched by the work of your hands. For truly, you're an awesome fixer. You're the one who's got the answer and you're the one that we seek. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name.